Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Thanksgiving week. I hope you have much to be thankful for that that list is long. But if that list is short, then just be thankful for those things again and again and again. Where we've been in Ephesians, Paul reminds us as we are to be being filled with the Spirit. That's a daily call that we would be filled to overflowing. And he says the Results of that are these, that you would address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Of course, we're singing unto the Lord, but it's the encouragement of one to another. You can you can belt out those very same words in your car all by yourself, and the Lord hears that and receives that as worship. But there's something about singing one to another as we fix our eyes on Christ that is our encouragement, our joy, and our hope. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then he says this, and this is Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may that be our call this week to give thanks in all things, at all times, with all kinds of thanks. He'll go on to say in Ephesians 6, uh, with prayers of all kinds and supplications of all kinds. So that's our call as we move through this week. I know some of you are traveling. Uh, we have, I know specifically, we have a couple families on planes right now, either heading across the country. Uh, we've got our dear friends, the Smiths, who have boarded a plane in Harare and are flying to Dubai right now in order to then fly to Boston and be back on U.S. soil. They'll migrate down to Texas for Thanksgiving or just after Thanksgiving and be there for a week or two connecting with friends, and they'll be here on December 17th. So we're looking forward to reconnecting with the Smiths. Let's be praying for their uh, mercies of travel and just the uncertainty of whether they'll be able to return uh, into the country as we were praying for them this morning. And I had this thought, if you're on their email, I'll see if I can do this without tearing up. Uh, they call, they asked their kids, they said, we don't have our visa and we're going, we're going home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so whatever is most valuable to you, uh, in case we don't return or whatever is here is lost, pack that. And um, both Layla and Seamus, they're teenagers, they both came out with a shoebox. And that's not meant to be sorrowful. They weren't sorrowful. They're in angst uncertain, wanting to return. And there's more possessions that have meaning to them. But on that call, they've already recognized what they need most is the Lord. They're relying on Him every day. And it was just a striking picture as we move into a season of thanksgiving where many of us will have an abundance of all things. What do we need most? Lord, may we be hungry and thirsty for You and You alone. Teach us to have that kind of mindset. If we need that, because if, if, to gain that, if we need to be called and sent and moved and stripped away, may it be. But can we walk into that posture with a greater generosity, with a greater gratitude, with a participation in what God is doing? May we support and buoy missionaries like the Smiths, and may we consider that for the missionaries that are right in our own midst. And we'll hear some stories of that this morning. So we look forward to that. So many things to be thankful for. Uh, give praise and worship. We are giving thanks for Patrick and Rachel, married yesterday, an incredible celebration, a real love story proclaimed, a worship service more than it was a wedding ceremony. And those are my favorite kind. 
And thank you for all of those icy faces here who pitched in, stayed late, helped the rehearsal. Uh, so much was done. Thanks to the Hogans especially for uh, being there to run the sound and bring all that was needed to make that event go. And Daphne, I know, coordinated so much of the beauty of that place. What a, it was a gorgeous spot. I wish we had more time to explore. There were greenhouses and fields and plants, and it was like I was like just in heaven there. Um, so it was a great, great fit for the idea of greenhouse and planting and new, new shoots and deep roots and diverse fruit, all language that is uh, building a culture for us, is crafting our character, and is inspiring our calling. And that's what we are all about. And that's what we're about this morning. That's what we're about uh, in the Advent season. Uh, and really, that's what we're about in all of life, that we would be people who have uh, new shoots, new growth, new life, as we're also growing deep roots into the Lord, drawing life in Him, and that we would bear fruit, that we would bear fruit to share with one another and bless others in even greater need than ourselves. Uh, so that's what we're about. A lot of things to say on that. I'll say a few more words, but first, I'm going to dismiss our kiddos. Oh, by way of announcement, read the bulletin. Uh, just highlighting this week, two opportunities to gather, one to pray and one to serve. We're gathering at Mountain Ridge Community Church. It's right down by Pomegranate Bistro, if you know where that is, you know, on this side of Redmond. Uh, you can certainly look that up on your devices and find address to Mountain Ridge Community Church, 6 to 7, just an hour of 6 local congregations. These are guys that I've been meeting with for years that lead other churches across denominations in our city to pray for our city, to put on the armor of God together, to ask for more of the Lord together, and to bring thanksgiving and praise. So if you're stirred by that, would you please come and join us? Meet there at the church. Uh, You can certainly meet here in Carpool Down, but meet there at six o'clock. There's a gathering here too to decorate the church Wednesday night uh, to transform it to Christmas. We'll come in next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, which is strange this year because that's also the Thanksgiving Sunday, uh, but we want to see uh, the beauty of ushering in Christmas in some way, at least in transforming. So if, if you have questions on that, talk with Christina and just or just show up and many hands will make light work, maybe, um, or just come and encourage and support and eat soup. So that'll be fun. You can do both. You can pray for an hour, then you can come up here and help some guessing some will be here past 8 o'clock. So that's coming up this week, as well as Thanksgiving. By the way, next Sunday, you're the sermon. This is what we've done this last couple years, where Thanksgiving Sunday is a testimony and Thanksgiving service. We know a lot of our family travels, and so we can be more of an intimate family gathering around this table of communion, but giving thanks to what the Lord has done this past year. It's a great time of reflection, celebration, and maybe even a Thanksgiving of who you've been able to have at your table this year, whether Thanksgiving Day or some other time. That was the encouragement I gave, mini challenge to extend, to break bread with one another, especially those not quite like us, or to make space for a Thanksgiving or or a Friendsgiving, as seems popular these days. Whatever it takes to connect with neighbors, coworkers, friends, and make space of thanksgiving and celebration for the abundance God has provided. Let me pray for our kids. They seem eager. They seem like, Dad, stop talking already. Let's pray. We need that. Lord, thank you. Above all, we, we come and we give thanks, and we give praise, and we, we want that to be a marker of our lives year-round, not just in this week, But we thank you for a special week to really reflect, to celebrate your provision, to remember what you have done and how you've sustained, and to even give thanks for the hard things of this past year, the things that have driven us to our knees, made us call out to you, to know you more deeply in the midst of pain and sorrow. You are still God. You are still loving. You are still pursuing. 
Thank you that we can be family in many different contexts this week. And I pray for mercies as people travel or gather with extended family or friends around their tables or others in private or in public. I pray that your presence would be felt, sensed, would be there amongst them where they break bread together and that thanksgiving would abound. Thanksgiving unto you, the provider of all things. And so we commit even these moments now to you. We give thanks to you. You are present with us. You are working You are living and active. And Lord, we pray that you would soften hearts and open ears for only what you want to say to us, so that all else would just fade away. But your voice would be clearly heard and received, that we would be ministered to, we would receive your grace, your peace, your mercy, your love, your life for us, and that we would not walk out of these doors the same. We would be changed, uh, stirred by your spirit for the work that you've called us to. And we pray, Lord, commission us, grow us deeply in you. Pray for our new shoots, these children of ours that are growing up in our midst, that they would have deep roots in you every day of their life, to bear incredible fruit, that part of the harvest that we're longing for, the hundredfold harvest in the next hundred years, would be borne by this generation and even the ones after them. We, we have that vision because it's your vision, Lord. So even today, would you plant a seed that would grow and flourish into life and light in these hearts of these young ones amongst us, and bless those who point them to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, four through fourth grade, welcome to go off to your class. So as we head into Advent, we're beginning to tune our minds and our hearts around the one who came. That's what Advent means, Adventus, the arrival, the coming, the one who came, and we know that's Jesus himself. We are now living in between the Advents, in between his first arrival, his first coming, and his second. Still in that same age of the church, though 2,000 years have now passed. And how astonished would those disciples have been to have known that reality? They lived with an urgency in accordance with his word that he was coming back soon. And they ordered all of their life around that. It's been the call of the church for 2,000 years. Perhaps we've become complacent. We've become numb to that call. Because 2,000 years, how is that soon? Well, with the Lord, a day is but a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years are but a day. His return is still imminent. His second arrival, his second advent is coming. And so I want to focus our attention, tune our hearts in this advent season on both of those advents and on the mission that exists because of them. It's really important. A lot of a lot of times we would start a new year with mission kind of talk, with vision, with reaching, with investing, with stewarding. So we're going to start that a little bit early because it just seems to be what God is doing. He's poised and positioned us as a church, we believe, for great things. So I'm looking forward deeply to this. I'm very excited. Now, this is what his church is called to. So wherever we are planted Right? Wherever we are living, working, learning, playing, we are meant to be incarnational because Jesus was. He came in the flesh to live amongst a people, to a specific place, at great cost to himself, to be like one of those he came to love and serve, to pour out his life that he might give life to others. And that's our mission. Just as God had sent Jesus, Jesus said, John 20, so I am sending you. Just as I was sent, so I am sending you to live 
in a specific place with a people, to be among them, even to be as them, in order to build redemptive relationships that we might love and serve and pour out our lives that others might find life in Jesus. The way we would say that mission, you can capture it in lots of words, we capture it with these, to help all peoples find new life in Jesus and grow to bear fruit for him. It fits with that language of growth and life and greenhouse and an organic nature to the lives that we live. And it fits with the, the so many of the themes of Scripture that speak and teach the same things as we pray for the hundredfold harvest. The harvest happens in the fields more than in the greenhouse. The greenhouse is a place for those new shoots and for those deep roots and uh, for safety and growth and life incubated in order for sustainable life and multiplication to happen wherever we are sent, wherever we are planted. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. And if we've been commissioned and sent the same way, then we join him with that same passion and that same heart to see those who are lost found. And it shouldn't be hard. If you've forgotten, then be reminded how desperately lost you have been. And maybe even this morning, some of you come in recognizing the reality. Oh, I feel lost in this, in this world, in this place that I find myself. Remember that Jesus has come to seek you, to draw you, and to save you, to restore all things, that you would be found in him. His first advent defines our mission. His second advent inspires our urgency. We're poised as a church, as a community, we believe, which is why we're starting this conversation now in this Advent season rather than in the beginning of 2020. God has entrusted us with incredible resources. We're called to steward and invest that we would see that multiply. We're not called to, to bury and to hide and dig up later in a time of need. We're called to invest what he has entrusted to us. And so as we've begun, your elders have begun mapping out a budget for 2020, praying through what we anticipate God is doing, we are carving out from our first fruits, right at the top, right well, at the top or the center, however you want to look at it, of our, of our budget, of our resources, in order to support mission. Because why else are we here? It's, 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 it's not that the church has a mission. The, the mission has a church. I know that's a simple way to say it, but we, we have to understand that. We have to recognize that we have a commission because of Jesus. The only reason we exist is because of the mission. That's why we gather. It's why we assemble. It's why we worship. It's why we send. It's why we invest. It's why we give. It's why we bless. So what we're going to do, practically speaking, is we've carved out, we've, we look at Acts 1-8, and we, you know, we've been soaking in that for a long time. It's kind of our, it's one of our great commissions. Some of Jesus' final words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's four places that he identifies to the disciples. Jerusalem, right where you are. Judea, this broader region around you. Samaria, the people amongst you that are not quite like you, that even you have been in hostility and division with before. And then to the ends of the earth. And that's a broad call. We've been given the same call and the same commission. We are sent in the same way. So our Jerusalem is right here. It's Redmond, it's Kirkland, it's Sammamish, wherever you are planted, that's your Jerusalem. The Judeo then is the surrounding region, and that's a fuzzy line of how broad that could be, but the greater Seattle region or the northwest, 
maybe even the country, but that probably starts to get to the Samaria and to the ends of the earth from our perspective. So we, we see it that way, and we said, let's carve out, can we identify missionaries in each of those places and join in them? Some of them are just obvious, and we believe we've identified missionaries in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so right from the beginning of our budget, we said we're going to give $1,000 to each one every month. We're going to carve out $4,000 to give to this mission, and then we'll see what is left. And I believe God will multiply it. Because when you begin with his mission and his vision, he promises in abundance. This is the Malachi promise. You give to me. This is one of the only times, if not the only time, that we're told we can test God in something. He says to to us, test me in this. You bring your best to me. You bring your your first fruits, the first tithe, the top tenth, and that's what we're anticipating doing with this 4,000. You bring that to me and see if I will not open heavens and pour out in abundance upon you that you will have no more need. And so we're taking him at his word. And we're saying, God, you've already provided, but we're going to still step in faith and apply this in a significant way. So just know, as you give here, and so many of you give generously, some of you need to start giving generously. As you give here, that first fruits will go out of here to the fields that we're called to for the greatest possible impact that we want to see happen for God's glory and our joy. So I invite you to that, guys. I invite you to continue or to join in kingdom giving. This morning, we're just focused, we're going to focus in on our Jerusalem. And so to do that, we've got some special guests, Dwight and Mary. They shouldn't be strangers, although it'd be good to see their faces up front here again. So come on, come join me. We've been given our how and our where. Our how, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you. That's the how, and empower you. The where, we've, I've just said, we've given up, been given some marching orders to some places. We have to define them and contextualize them for us. These are the fields we live in. But what about the what? So what, what then? What then do we do when we've identified the how, the empowering, and the where? Oh, starting with our own Jerusalem, but what? And you're going to share with, with us a what, and then the why. Thank you for preaching for me this morning. I always go into wedding weeks thinking, oh yeah, that's, it's just a wedding. Oh man, I finally learned. <laughs> Actually, I thought he did a pretty good sermon just now. I was just going to close in prayer. So, <laughs> but I guess, I guess I'll go because I have this thing. It took about 10 minutes to get this thing on. So you better do something. Yeah, so this, You've got this, a few more words I know yeah, you can bring okay. All right. to this. But give us a what. God has a already what? been stirring your hearts uh, to a what. Mm, yeah, so well there is. Fill in some gaps. Most of you we know, some of you are new to us. We were, Mary and I were actually attending Union Hill Church up until about six months ago. God had called us away for a couple of years. And so if you, we don't know you, that's the reason why, but God has called us back. And um, this is a season of ministry that's kind of our background, is ministry background, that is a little unusual, I will have to say. We would um, we welcome it, but it is a huge step of faith. Because we are doing something that we're calling the Jerusalem Mission Project. And Ben's already done a masterful job of explaining it. It really just flows off of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to give you the purpose, just kind of the vision of what we are doing. The vision goes something like this. The Jerusalem Mission Project 
The purpose is to equip and mobilize Christians, that is, followers of Jesus, to reach their lost neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sounds fairly simple, but it actually is rarely happening. So that's the purpose, to equip and mobilize true believers in a specific geographic target area. And that's something I'll I'll talk about in just a second. But a, a specific geographic target area to reach their lost neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thing one needs to be to establish a targeted geographic, and and that's where we live. We live actually in Bellevue, and um, we live close to a school called Ardmore. It's Ardmore Elementary School, and so we are missionaries to the Ardmore people group. We are, they are the Ardmoreans, as we call them now. And so we have felt, all right, God, what are the parameters? And so it's from Northeast 30th to Northeast 40th, Bell Red Road to 172nd. And God can expand it. God can change it. Say that again, Mary. <laughs> God can expand it. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but to change that, but right now, says, Lord, what about this? What about this, this target area? We've lived here for a long time, and we've, we know a lot of people, but now we're just saying, God... We're calling, asking you to do something very specific. So that's objective one, is to establish the target area. The second objective is to cultivate caring relationships with believers in that target area. That's a tough one. Um, Most of the time, Christians go other places to their church. In fact, some of you came from many miles away to be here. But a lot of us don't know who the believers are in our own neighborhoods where we live and breathe. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love that you show for one another. What if we were able to cultivate and establish better relationships with those we live near and to demonstrate that kind of love so that it could be experienced and seen? Not a bad idea, but rarely happens because we are all so busy. And that's going to take some time. That's going to take time because each of these, and we've already started this. We've been, been into it for about two or three months now. And they, they come from... We started um, before that, though, praying. Yeah. yeah, we started praying, but in terms of actually meeting, we've been meeting the second Sunday night of every month. And they, are, they have great churches they come from. And um, so these will be kind of extensions. We don't mean to pull away from where they're... They're gathering, all have small groups. We're calling this a small, I'm sorry, uh, it's it's called, uh, what is it, Uh, a caring network extension. It stands for ACNE, ACNE, a caring network extension. So we're actually developing ACNE in our, in the Jerusalem Mission Project. So don't tell anybody that and they might not, they might not come. I thought you were in birth stage, not in puberty stage. Yeah, that's right. So, but seriously, uh, that is a huge area of, of uh, this going to take a lot of work to, to really, um, we've already had one been said to maybe flesh out a little bit some of what's been happening, but there was one couple who said, yeah, we'd love to do it. But then they just said, uh, we don't want one more thing. And so, okay, can respect that. And, um, but the third objective is to cultivate redemptive relationships with lost people. Cultivate redemptive relationships with lost people. And the truth is, is that most Christians are scared to death 
to share the gospel with a lost person. So there's some equipping that has to go on here over the course of time to how do you build a redemptive relationship with a lost person? I could tell you a, a number of stories and I'm not sure that I will have a time, have time today to do that of specific, uh, people in our own, in the Ardmore people group that we are doing that with. And the fourth one is to, as new believers come to faith, is to equip them, to help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, which is another whole thing in itself, which is going to take time. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to, Ben and I have talked about this for, for quite a while, and to be able to actually move forward as a, in partnership is um, kind of scary, but that's what faith is. But it's not scary with God. So, so in, in, as you hear this and you're saying, I don't know what, how you're responding and reflecting to it, you might, you might be thinking, so we're, we're engaging with this mission that God is already leading on. We're joining them. I'm excited to join in with you. And you might say, so we're joining in in the same way that we're giving monies to the ends of the earth, to these other places. Aren't they in greater need? Well, here's a couple things. One, we are called first to our Jerusalem. That's why God has placed us here. This was the ends of the earth from that first call. If they could have looked at a globe or a map or even comprehended that, we are the gospel has gone out. God has been faithful, but he's still calling us to our Jerusalem. It's right that we get the first things right. Uh, second, that we would put the same emphasis on the work that God is doing. Third, the worker is worth their wages. These guys are laborers. For 40 plus years, they have ministered in various church plant contexts, revitalization, coaching, counseling, etc., on and on. And we want to honor that. I deeply honor that. When there's new and young and interesting that comes and goes every year, and we like to get involved with it, I just want to be one that says, I honor decades of faithful work. Interesting. <laughs> and I know that Dwight has said, I, I, I'm, we're going to do this anyway. But I know what you're sacrificing to do it. It takes incredible intentionality. You're a pastor and missionary on the ground, and you are saying no to other options of income to do that in your neighborhood. That's significant. And that's why we're joining in. I would call you to pray for them, just like you would any other missionary that comes and stands from this place and says, speaks the stirring of their hearts to reach lost people in their communities. And if you feel so led to join them and partner with them financially to do this, then do it. Retirement? What's that? Need new, need new tires for the journey ahead, yeah. right? Heaven. Heaven is retirement. Exactly. So I love your heart. I love you guys. We're praying for you. We're commissioning you commissioning you in this. And I would like to pray for you now. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Is there anything you want to add? You've been adding anything. I think you both did really great. So (laughs) if you have any questions, you can come up to us and talk to us later on. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's something that inspires you, um, we can kind of tell you what we do in more detail. And we'd be glad um, to, to push you along to do that too. Awesome that you guys are an awesome team in this. I'd like to pray for you, and then, Dwight, you'll have like 10 minutes or so to you know, preach. That. Lord, we pray that this message continues to preach, because it is your message, and it's your mission, and it's your call, and it's your stirring in hearts. And I just thank you for this couple who has been faithful for so many years. They've been an incredible encouragement to me and to so many here. You've sent them on your mission. 
you've moved them around in this region, but their love for this place, as, as much as this place has changed, you've kept them rooted in a neighborhood. And that change, that change has, that has happened so dramatically in that neighborhood, uh, I pray now the next change and the next season will be one of renewal, of revival, of the Holy Spirit just breaking down walls, of bringing unity for the, uh, the followers of you, the true followers of Christ in that community, to, be, to rise up, to be known, to unify, to love one another, and ultimately to love uh, they're lost in the midst of their daily lives and brokenness. That way they would find the tangible needs. They would have eyes to see and hearts to go. We pray for the spiritual battle that ensues. As we circle a place, so does the enemy. And so we pray, Lord, against his work. We, we bind him in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. That your word would go forth. That you would not be able to rob it or steal it. We stand firm then and resist the enemy. That he would flee. Now be present, Lord, we pray in this moment, as we're thinking so much of these days ahead, of these months ahead, of years ahead, if you will, Lord willing, we make these plans. But right now, in these moments, would you take the words that Dwight has prepared and translate them to our hearts, prepare us to receive only what you have for us, that we might have the right level and balance of conviction and encouragement, because you are so good. And you are at work. And we give you all praise and thanksgiving in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. I'm going to sit down, and you're going to go up. Okay. So I guess probably the biggest question I have is what time do they stop listening? You have to determine that. Okay. All right. He says I have to determine that, so watch my eyes. You ever seen Bugs Life? You ever seen that movie? <sighs> Hi. Would you please turn to First Timothy chapter one? Um, I, I ask a special favor. If you're not used to turning to a Bible, would you please today? There's one on the pew rack in front of you, or maybe you have to go to another pew to get one. But it's a black book and. Page 991 is, I think, the, the right page for First Timothy chapter 1. That'll be our go-to point. And um, I, I'm just going to say some very honest things to begin with. I feel probably the most ill-equipped ever getting up and speaking um, on behalf of the Lord today. A long time ago, I heard a story where uh, a young man who had just gotten into ministry, he had an uh, occasion to be in the presence of an old retired preacher, pastor. And he thought, okay, this is good. I can ask some important questions. And so he asked the the old retired preacher, can you just tell me how long really does it take to prepare an effective, good Bible message? And so the pastor just gave it some thought and he just sat there just contemplating well he said well 10 probably closer to 20 and and more likely 30 and he said okay is that minutes or hours he said oh oh no years and as i have thought about that and contemplated i um this message is one that has been developing over a lifetime. And I mean that in, the serious, in all seriousness. 
is that the conclusions, the observations, and this is something that has become very personal for me because I realize how far I have to go. So far to go. Some of the things that that Pastor Ben was talking about in terms of reaching lost people and the idea of doing it where we live, I'm not sure that there is a more intense and well-rooted stronghold in the church of Jesus Christ than with reaching lost people. In fact, I'm pretty sure that um, as I, well, let me, let me go to prayer. And, but I want to say one thing is that if you're here today and you are a comfortable Christian, or if you're here today and you are a casual Christian, what comes out in the following minutes may irritate you. In fact, some of, it, some of you may be just get angry. And that is a sign that there could be a stronghold there. Because these kinds of things uh, shake us to our core and make us come, become uncomfortable. But as Ben was talking this morning in our prayer time before the service, is that there, uh, around the, the country there is a movement, there is a stirring in different places. Uh, some in, this, in our own geographic area of that God is at work and God is doing something. We don't know what it looks like, but we want to be ready. And so my prayer is for you and for me is to have ears to hear and to be ready when the summons co- is when the summons comes. And I think you will find today that the summons has already been given. And we need to do a little backtracking. Would you bow with me? And by the way, I will pray long enough and if you feel like you're going to be uncomfortable or get mad, you could leave during the prayer. I'll leave. I'll try to make it long enough so you can do that. Jesus, you are here in this building at this time. No one cares more deeply about the church, your bride, than you do. And you know, as we have spoken often recently, just how ill-equipped I feel to, to do this, and that's why I will be reading your word. And so we come to you, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Jesus here today. Everyone is here as a divine appointment. This group has never been together before, not like this, different faces. And so, Lord, we're here to say what? How? And so I would like to ask that you would open your word and unfold it and and, and plant it into my heart and change me. Change my brothers and sisters so that we may together be about your business. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And I have memorized it in so many verses that I'll probably put them all together. But I'm going to share it with you. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. And this is the Apostle Paul. And um, here's what he says. He says, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And by the way, 
Nobody ever did it better than me. That was a Delbert Engelbertson translation of what Paul said. I am the foremost of all, is what Paul said. You've seen on the the slide up on the screen, that's the title of my message. It's The Thing. And that's not a 60s sci-fi horror film. Um, and the reason why I'm, I'm thinking about that so much now is because there's a, over the last few years, there's been kind of a popular expression that it's kind of the thing, you know, something will become, gets in a conversation, something that somebody brings something up that somebody else doesn't recognize and say, well, they'll say, is that a thing? And you'll say, yeah, it's a thing. And so we, we kind of popularize that quite a bit. It's kind of fun to hear conversations like that. But there are, there are things out there, but really as relates to what the mission of Jesus is, there, it's only one thing. And if someone were to ask you, why did Jesus come? And of course at Christmas time, we, that's what we talk about all the time, and we, we, we develop the whole season about that. But could you articulate it succinctly? Most of you would be able to come up with a, a really good answer if you were to have to write it down on a 3 by 5 card. But what is the essence? And it's in 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus Christ came into the world, three words, to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now I want you to say that with me. When I say Jesus Christ came into the world, then you will repeat with me, to save sinners. Ready? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. All right, we'll do it two more times. And I want you to increase in volume when you do this. Please, ready? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now so that people driving by on the street can hear. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Among whom I am the foremost of all. In the words of Paul. And it's important to just backtrack a little bit here, and we're going we're gonna to look at this a little bit more deeply. But as Pastor Ben already referred to, is that Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus already gave the marching orders to the disciples after he rose from the grave. He spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching about the kingdom of God. I would love to know. I would love to have sermons of the, to know what he did and, and what he said, but we will know one day. But he said, now, now it's your turn. Jesus, he did that during his life in ministry, but he's gone. Not really. Because in Matthew chapter 28, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now you go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I, I commanded you. And let me know, let me tell you, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so while Jesus, there is that resurrection thing that he did in ascension, all the way through the, the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 13 through 17 in there, he says, he's telling his disciples, they were at the, they were at the, the, the original remembrance meal. He was they were celebrating Passover, and he was beginning to tell them, after the three years of ministry, he says, by the way, guys, I'm leaving. And they were scared to death. They were, they were literally fearful and sorrowful and could not believe what they were hearing. 
But Jesus says, don't worry about it because I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a, a counselor, someone who will help you to remember all the things I told you about, and it is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus did that. We read that in the book of Acts, how Jesus came to us as believers, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So how does the ministry of witnessing to the world happen? Through me, through you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Now here's another question that I want to just leave you with. The first question was, why did Jesus come? The second question is today, why did Jesus leave you here? Wouldn't it have been more effective, seeing as how fallible all of us people are, that Jesus could have gotten his work done with something other than human beings? But he chose to do it that way. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, many of you know this verse, it says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so here's, you're going to have to listen really carefully here. Why did, what is the purpose of the Christian life? What did Jesus leave you here for? To let Jesus live his resurrected life through me. That's what you signed on for. That's what I signed on for. I didn't really understand the whole thing, and I I have a long ways to go. But I signed on to let Jesus run the show now and call the shots. The Apostle Paul said in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's why Paul called himself a bond slave. Slaves have no rights. And so the mission of Jesus, why did Jesus come? Has he ever changed his mind? Has he ever changed his mind? No, he has never changed his mind in 2,000 plus years. He is still wanting to do that through us. It's now our turn and our time to respond. Because I will be honest with you, most of the churches where we go, where we have visited, where we've been a part, you won't find new believers. What's called church growth, largely in our Christian, quote, Christian culture, is when Christians move around to different churches. They move into an area, or there's a problem with one church. It could be a church, a painful church split. Well, now where do we go? Well, there's a new pastor over here, and he's preaching the Bible, and so we should go there. And so they gravitate. And so you can always kind of tell a little bit about where that stronghold goes and where it exists if there are no believers and haven't been for a long time. No new believers. When we were away for the couple of years we were at, we were, um, uh, had actually attended part of the time at least, uh, a good Bible teaching church, a very, a large Bible teaching church. And the pastor said one, actually on a couple of occasions, he says, I can't remember the last time I saw someone come to know Jesus. I grieve over that. And I, I'm not, I'm, I, 
I, I can't even imagine how beside himself Jesus must feel. But that is the commentary on most Christian churches these days. We're doing things, but we're not doing the thing. We're not doing the thing. In fact, part of the stronghold, if you look up for 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that's where the, the, the Paul's top, I can't, I can't teach on strongholds today, but strongholds really are areas where we've allowed Satan to establish a beachhead, and they're usually built of lies that we have rehearsed and come to believe. One of the most dominant lies in the church today, is I, and I grew up in the church. I came to know Jesus when I was looking doorknobs straight on, when I was about five, so I never knew any different. But discipleship was always about what you do to teach Christians the Bible, or you teach them the disciplines of Christianity. And that's all very, very good. But they always tended to leave out, I would say almost always tended to leave out step one of discipleship, and that, and that is, someone's got to come to know Jesus. Otherwise, the churches get older and older and older and older, and they die out and have to sell their buildings. I know of two places in our area that have that going on right now. And other congregations are able to maintain their buildings, but their congregations are getting older and older. So what, what Satan will do is he will have us believe, like for example, just you just redefine discipleship and makes it much simpler. We don't have to go out and do that. We can go pay missionaries to go to the uttermost parts of the world, but we don't do it here. But you know what? It's not necessarily because I mean to do that or that I don't want to do that. It's just that we're not talking about it very much. We're not holding each other accountable to it. We're not necessarily very well equipped to do that. We're not convicted enough. We, maybe we don't understand is that the reason why Jesus came was to save sinners. And the thing... I don't think they stopped listening yet. I can keep going. Okay. Yeah. Coming back to First Timothy chapter one, um, verse fifteen. I told you that. Um, I came to know Jesus at a very young age, and I'm, I'm very grateful. I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents love the Lord. My dad is with the Lord now, and my, my mom, 96, just loves the Lord, and she loves living for him, and she loves reaching lost people. And, and But I don't remember what it, was, I, I, what it was like to be lost. I wasn't into deep, deep sin when I was four that I knew of. You know, I hadn't murdered anybody. And I wasn't uh, leading that many people astray except in kindergarten. A little bit of that. Little, little bit of that. <laughs> but I know there was a missionary friend um, that I had who came to know the Lord when he was about 45. And he taught me a lot. And there are times when, you know, and this is part of the thing that I have so much to learn about, is because sometimes I just get irritated by lost people. 
I mean, you hear some of the stuff that the politicians are saying, you want to rip your hair out and just go. Or the, the neighbor whose dog barks at 1 a.m. in the morning over and over and over and over. And Yesterday I caught myself at the gym. There was a guy who was lifting these, these weights, lifting it up to here at a big, huge bar and stacks of weights, and he was banging down the floor over and over and over and over again. And I just, it was just reverberating through the whole gym. And I, and I caught myself, and I just, idiot. I didn't say that out loud, but inside I thought, whoa, I'm preaching tomorrow. I better change this. <laughs> I'm being very open and vulnerable with you, and I didn't, I didn't say idiot. But I, I caught myself thinking things that Jesus would never have thought and doesn't think and doesn't want to think in this body through me that I agreed to let him use. In fact, I was looking at it in, in the book of Matthew. I'm saying all sorts of stuff that I wasn't intending to say. So, um, Jesus was looking at the, the crowds that were around him. And they were following him all over the place. And it would, I, I would not have done very well in that situation. But he looked around them and he, he, he looked and it says he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And my prayer has been, Jesus, would you make me to see that way? Because I don't. I want to. I'm too selfish. I'm too thinking about my own, uh, my own comfort level and how they're impinging on that in, in, in our own country. But my friend taught me a lot. He says, you know, they're, they're just lost people. That's what lost people do. And I thought about over and over through the years, I thought, he's exactly right. That's what lost people do. People who are on the city council, King County, or in our, at our nation's highest levels, they're doing very, very odd things, to say the least, in these days. That's what lost people do. It's not good. But I do want to read with you so that we have a true idea. When, we come, when it comes to 1 Timothy 1.15, that we have an understanding of what it really means to be lost. Jesus came to save sinners. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're a sinner. The Bible says in John in Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Romans, it says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." We have not measured up to God's righteous standard. Just pick the big 10. Ten commandments. If you've broken any one of those, you've broken one of God's laws, and I bet you have. So have I, many, many, many times. And the Bible also says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible also tells us that, that Jesus came, and let me, let me just share with you John 3.16 as we kind of enter into kind of thinking about what does it mean to be lost. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, we, we see that account. And Nick says, and he was committing professional suicide nearly when he did that, and that's why he came at night, because his ilk, his cohorts, if they had seen him do that, they, it would have been no end of problems for him. But he said, okay, Jesus, um, pretty clear that no one could do the stuff that you're doing unless God were with him, so you want to tell me a little bit about that? And so Jesus did. 
And I'm just going to shorten the, the little cliff notes here. And he talked to him about what it meant to be born again. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Next verse, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And most of us don't understand that what it means to be lost. They don't have to do anything more to be lost. They come into the world lost. We came into the world lost. Turn to the last book of the Bible, please. To the book of Revelation. And now you're going to have to start listening fast. I think it's important for me to read to you and reflect upon The absolute horror, the absolute horror of a time in the future that I cannot even begin to imagine. And I want to read um, in Revelation chapter 20. This is at the very, very, toward the very, very end. And I will start at verse 7. But this is after the period of the thousand years when Satan is bound. And this is a time when it's, it's going to be the end. It's, I, and I love reading the part that's the end for Satan. And I love reading it out loud so that, uh, so that all his minions can hear it. And so that I'm reminded of it because we read the end of the book and we know who wins. But I also want you to see what happens to lost people. This is Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. Non-believers get to be judged according to what they have done, not on the basis of Jesus. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You hear that car going by right now? A person that's going by there. Not not everybody, but a lot of those people, that's, that's their destiny right now. Jesus came to save lost sinners. I don't have time to do this. I guess I'll read part of it because I think it is important. About 3 o'clock this morning, I think the Lord impressed this upon me. The beginning of chapter, uh, beginning of the book of Revelation. I think I will just finish by, by giving you this. how much Jesus cares about his church. Did you know that he walks among the churches? Did you know that he's here and he's, he's evaluating? And I, I thought maybe I was going to read chapters 2 and 3 so that we can get an idea of his message to the churches, the seven churches of Asia. It's very, very helpful, but it's also very sobering. And I just want to read the first message to the the church at Ephesus. I'm going to go back to um, verse chapter 1, verse 9, because I think this is important. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are ours in Jesus, were, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I, I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. John had never seen Jesus like this before. Write therefore the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me just read you the first one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men and you put them to the test who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary but I have this against you you have left your first love remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent at this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and to him who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God there's a lot that's been written about what that first love might have been, must have been, could have been. But I really do wonder if it had something to do with the thing. That Jesus came to save sinners. And that's why we were supposed to be doing all of this. That's the end result that we, we pick up our marching orders and we add back that first part of what it means to make disciples. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know how to do that very well. And I have so far to go. But I'm in the process of repenting. Because all the way through Revelation 2 and 3, you know, I just, boy, don't you love Jesus? <laughs> don't you love Jesus? He just says, all right, you guys are out of here. You did that, and I, I did all that for you. And now he said... I'll give you a shot at this. You know, I'm just telling you what what needs to be fixed. But you do need to repent because you're not doing what I ask you to do. And I wonder if this is one of those. I personally think it is. I think it's the thing. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, this is very personal for you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who it was very personal to him. He said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners, and he, he got it. But I will admit to you today, Lord Jesus, that I don't. I'm just at the beginning, after all these years, really, of understanding And letting you truly be in charge and live your resurrected life through my body. Every day. Every minute. It's hard. But that's what I signed on for. And I know my brothers and sisters here would would say the same thing. We did, but we didn't really realize what we were doing. But we're glad we did. And so, Lord... 
I want to turn, that's what repent means. I, I want to turn and follow you, to be able to hear your voice when you call to be about the thing, the ministry of two saved sinners. You're the one who saves. I can't save anybody. Nobody here can. It's you. But we're the tools. That was your choice. You said, I'm going to leave you here. That's why I'm leaving you here. Would you please help me? Would you please help us, Union Hill Church? I sense a readiness here, as Ben and I have talked over the weeks and months, that there is, there is a readiness, and we're not even sure what that looks like. But it has to start with this. We're calling upon you for, for the grace. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for your forgiveness. And, and as we come to this remembrance meal, as we come to this table that says, do this in remembrance of me, that I stop being selfish about it and there's, there's necessary things about me making sure that I'm right with you. But somewhere in that, every time, God, would you, in this church, at Union Hill Church, every time that we come to this table, that there would be part of it that says, what about them? This is why you came and this is what you're still wanting to do. And I take this in remembrance of you to recommit to reaching lost people. Thank you for saving me. I would pray, Lord, if there is someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, that they would not leave today without without knowing that they don't have to stand there at the great white throne judgment and be an absolute horror to a Christless eternity where there is no heaven, no God, and no hope. You have given us hope, and we relish in that. Thank you for your great, great love. And it's the name of Jesus that we all say, Amen.